The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hey, hey, hey. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna oh, freeze. Wait. <laughs> Tonight at the main event, what do we have? Who do we have? You know what it is. It's Taco Tuesday. Welcome to another edition of the Points in the Pain podcast presented by Stadium. Ben Wittenstein with you. And Zach Badger House. And Zach, uh, we got a big week. We have a big week of basketball. We're knee deep in the playoffs. And we have a lot of stuff to discuss with the playoffs. Um, but we can start because of what happened last week. The Big Three. With uh, the NBA stopping their playoff games for a few days. It was a wildcat strike with what the NBA players did in solidarity. And it was in a response to Jacob Blake's death um, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, so let's start there because that was a huge moment, not only in the NBA season, in NBA history, but in the country's uh, political climate as well. This was just an amazing thing to see happen. And it sent ripples across the sports world. It definitely, that's what I like the most, Ben, is that it sent ripples across the sports world. It was, it was only not only impacted by the NBA, but you know, even tennis players decided that we're not gonna we're not gonna do our matches, or whether it's uh, MLB teams deciding that we're not gonna play in response to not only Milwaukee's decision to protest, but also you know, obviously in response to Jacob Blake's death and demanding and wanting justice for that. Now, with that being said, Ben, I'm a black man. I'm a black man in America, and right now it's just it's pretty tough. You know, it's pretty tough. It's pretty hard, and I can understand. You know, for the majority of the guys that are in the bubble, being black, not being able to do anything because they're in the bubble, not being able to make a difference and make an impact and respond to these types of tragedies that take place in this country that have taken place in this country throughout this year and beyond years past. And so I understand their pain. I feel their pain and their frustration being a black man in this country. So let me ask you this, because this is uh, this was something I was hearing from obviously a ton of people. Um, in terms of what they should do, what the right thing to do is. And there's a myriad of answers uh, for what they could have done. But as you said, a lot of NBA players felt like they couldn't do as much because they were restricted to be in Orlando in the bubble. Do you think, just in your opinion, do you think that NBA players in in what they want to do in terms of helping voting rights and getting protesting police brutality, everything that they want to do, do you think it is more useful for them to not play the season and for them to be in their respective cities doing protests and doing what they want to do? Or do you think it is better for them to be playing the season, having the spotlight on them, um, being on TV and playing these games, but being restricted to staying in Orlando? See, my response to that would be you, you have to play because in the, the very point of this, of this question is what Doc Rivers said the night after they had won their game five, I believe. And so after that game, 
you know, he was choked up in response to Jacob, uh, Jacob Blake's death. And he said some very powerful words and very emotional speech, but you don't get that same response in an interview if they're not playing. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's very important that these guys continue to play and continue to have their voices heard and continue to have these names being heard and names being said and seeing Black Lives Matter and education reform and all these type of statements on their jerseys. And so people know that these types of things are very important in society right now. Like everyone should believe that Black Lives Matter and that Black Lives Matter does not mean that they only matter or they mean that they only matter matter more than everyone else. No, they just want Black Lives to matter just as much as every other life in this country and across the world. And so from that standpoint, the NBA players being in the bubble right now, playing and responding to these answers and these interviews and these coaches, all of that doesn't, we don't get all of that if they're not in the bubble. So they have, so I believe personally that they should actually play instead of just not playing because if they don't play, then their voices aren't heard as much and by the masses either. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the side that I had been taking is it just seems like they have more of the power when they are still playing. And for all the reasons that you said, they're on television more, they have more of a voice. They have the attention of people who want to watch them play. I mean, you don't get the type of interview that we saw with Jamal Murray last night on Sunday night talking about Breonna Taylor and talking about George Floyd on his shoes. You won't get that if they are not playing basketball. So you get more of those powerful responses that go viral and that more people can see if the spotlight is still on them. And I understand them feeling restrained by not being able to leave Orlando and wanting to be in the cities and wanting to go out and protest and wanting to meet with uh, officials and, and politicians. But it is much harder to do that when you're just kind of out on your own and you don't have the backing of this billion dollar sports league behind you. Exactly. And that's why when Milwaukee decided to, okay, we're not going to play, we're going to sit this out. And then Orlando jumped on board and then obviously the other teams decided to do the same. And with Milwaukee doing that, obviously Milwaukee is only like 30 minutes, I believe, from Kenosha. So they're going to feel that, you know, that's and George Floyd, that was also in Wisconsin. So like these things are taking place in Wisconsin and the Milwaukee Bucks are down there in the bubble and they can't respond or help. And then you have, like you said, billion dollar owners who sit quietly. I mean, people I still I've heard this and I've, I've heard this right here. And this is a, this is in regards to another sport. I have football fans that text my phone saying we're still waiting on Jerry Jones to say something. No one's heard from Jerry Jones in response to any of these tragedies that's taken place. A guy that's well known in the NFL and could and his voice could could do wonders for, you know, the black community in regards to whatever he has to say and him standing up for us, not standing up for black people. Now, does that mean he doesn't? No, no, not necessarily. Same with these NBA owners. That doesn't mean that they don't necessarily agree or stand up with us, but it also has to be important that they let their players know and stand in the front line with their players who are majority black and be on the front line with them. Yeah, it's, it's important that not only the players talk, but I think it is important that these owners talk because the players have a good amount of money, but these owners have billions and billions of dollars. They can let their money talk for them. And I think that's kind of what the players are getting at here is that they're saying, you know, we shouldn't be the only ones doing this. We shouldn't be the only voices that people hear. We need from the owners to be heard as well. We need them to use their money for good. And granted, you know, people, a lot of people love to complain and say, you know, this, what was the point of this? They didn't play for a couple of days. 
you know, people were saying it was very dumb, which is incorrect. It's just wrong because the players got something done. They got these NBA owners to agree to have many of the arenas become polling places in cities around the country. And that is huge to have these massive, massive arenas that can hold hundreds, if not thousands of voters that come through to vote on election day. That is fundamental change, tangible change that you can see that these players did by not playing. Absolutely, Ben. I agree with you 100%. And I'm glad you pointed that out. The, the the situation with more than a vote with LeBron James and them putting that initiative to go out and make sure that everyone votes this November and putting those polling stations into these arenas. And that, that does that does major. And people, people have to understand how important that really is at a time right now where this country just seems so divided and people want change and people want this country to feel united again because right now it doesn't. And it seems like it's at the top, at the top in regards to uh, the political stance, uh, political stance. Right. And now. I think, yeah. And the most important thing and, and more, even probably more important than the voting, which is which is hard to get because that is incredibly crucial to get more polling places open in cities. But the NBA and the players, they showed that they have a lot of power. They can just stop playing and they can force the hand of these owners and from the commissioner of the NBA and they can influence not just their sport, but they influenced a ton of other sports as well. That exactly. is the type of power they had. It wasn't just them stopping play for the NBA. The Milwaukee Bucks directly stopped MLB teams from playing, MLS teams from playing. They stopped. They, they gave the idea to some NFL players who were talking about doing something like that or at least showing their power as a group, as a union. So it was incredibly important for the NBA players to see just what type of power they really do hold. And I'm and I'm so excited. And I'm so proud of the sports world across, like across the globe. Like I'm just so happy that everyone was able to just stand on the front line with the NBA and say, we're going to do what's right. And we're not going to play. And we're going to put the main focus on why. And that was because of the death of Mr. Jacob, De- Jacob Blake being shot seven times. Now we can move forward with this game seven between the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz, Ben. All right, let's talk some basketball for our second of the big three. So the big three focusing back on the NBA and the actual play on the court. And we got a hell of a basketball game on Sunday between the uh, the Jazz and the Nuggets for game six. Jamal Murray went off. The Nuggets looked like the Nuggets that were supposed to be the three seed in the West. <laughs> and the Jazz looked like they struggled. So the Nuggets are going into the game seven with a lot of momentum, with Jamal Murray playing out of his mind. They got Gary Harris back. He played 21 minutes, only scored four points, but he's he's going to be a crucial part to that team. So, Zach, do you believe in the Nuggets in this game seven coming up? I absolutely believe. Why? Because they were down 3-1 in this series, and there hasn't been too many comebacks. We all know that from down 3-1. And the fact that Mr. Jamal Murray put himself in a position that the way he did last night, 50 points, we're going to talk about it. I'm pretty sure the audience knows why we're going to talk about it, too. But I have to say, 17 to 24, man, he was lights out, Jamal Murray. And I'm just proud of his response and being, you know, off they, you know, they didn't play their game and then they had to come back. You may have thought there would have been some rust to come out because, you know, a lot of momentum and then you may have stopped for more than a few days than you are probably used to. So that momentum may not still be there, but he 
played incredible. And he's been incredible this whole series against the Utah Jazz. And on the other side, Donovan, you got Donovan Mitchell, who scored a pretty good amount of points, too, in this game with 44. And so I was proud of this battle, this whole series. We, I think this is the battle we really didn't expect because I think our main focus in this series coming in was more so Rudy Gobert and Nikola Jokic. Yeah, you're absolutely right. No one, no one really expected this type of battle. And I think I'm very excited for it because this is something we're going to be seeing for the next at least five years if they stay on their respective teams because the Nuggets and Jazz are in the Western Conference. They play a good amount each season. And Mitchell and Murray, both young guys, they are going to be battling it out, especially in the playoffs, for at least the next half decade. And the fact that they were just shooting lights out with Murray going 9 for 12 from the three-point line was astounding. It didn't seem like any team could miss from three. And you look at the stats – Both teams are shooting over 44% from the three-point line in this series. They are lights out. They're first and second in the NBA right now in the playoffs in terms of three-point percentage. So they they have just been shooting lights out, and it's been back and forth. There were times in this series where you could have asked me, and I would have said, oh, the Nuggets are going to lose. Absolutely. They're, They're a bad team. They play bad defense. They can't get the offense going, and the Jazz look dominant. And now you flip it in the last two and a half games or so, it's been all the Nuggets, and they've figured it out. They've changed Their defensive strategy, especially on the pick and roll against Gobert and against Donovan Mitchell, they're not sagging Jokic down in the lane, which allows Mitchell to maneuver inside. I mean, they've made big defensive adjustments. They've played Michael Porter Jr. more down low to to fend off Rudy Gobert on the weak side. And it's it's helped. It's helped them out a lot. The Jazz struggle now to take good shots. And you could say they've been just taking bad shots. But I think the Denver defense has been forcing them into some bad shots. So the adjustments by both teams has been so fun to watch. And that's why this game, this series is going seven games. That's so funny, because remember what you said? What I believe what game was that? I want to say it's either five or four game five or four or it has to be five. Yeah, it was last week. It has to be five, or it has it has to be five or four because you said that you were sick of Malone. He didn't make any adjustments against Utah, and no defensive adjustments. He can't get the guys to defend the three-point line. And here we are going into a game seven because of those adjustments you were looking for. Desperate times calls for desperate measures, man. I think it to... means. Uh, <laughs> I think that means Mike Malone listens to the podcast. Hey, I hope he does because he definitely. And having Gary, having Gary Harris back definitely helped them in yeah. terms of just giving another guy more minutes. You know, they wanted because he goes deep, right? He goes at least ten to nine guys deep, and you know he's going to get at least three guys off the bench that's going to play twenty minutes alone. You look at Michael Porter Jr. nearly playing thirty minutes. First game back for Harris plays twenty minutes. You got Torrey Craig playing twenty-one minutes. So those are valuable minutes when you got a guy like Paul Millsap who's not playing particularly well in this series only had five points in his last game and you got Monte Morris who's you know he's controlling the tempo of the game when Jamal Murray's like not on the court or anything like that but you know you kind of want to have that extra guard in Gary Harris just to take the pressure off of Murray and Morris you know when times get hard down the stretch of these games yeah it's been it's been fun to see kind of the impact that just having Gary Harris in the lineup has had on the Nuggets and I think also that pick and roll between Murray and Jokic has been great. It's the jazz just don't really have an answer because what Jokic does after he screens is he pops back up to the three point line. And so now Murray is either against Gobert or he's facing a Mitchell and Gobert switch and he can attack the rim. He can step back for a three or Jokic is just sitting out there for a three point shot. Um, and, and it's been incredibly fun to watch that offensive ability 
kind of come to light for the Nuggets and them figuring out that that is a really good offensive strategy to make. So heading into this game seven is going to be a lot of fun to watch because both these teams obviously have played the last six games against each other. They they have made enough adjustments and then adjustments to those adjustments. So I think it's going to be a very tight game. I don't know if I'm ready to say who's going to win because at this point, I just I really have no idea. I'm still sticking with Denver. I'm going to roll with Denver. They've come this far. They've battled back from being down 3-1 in this series. And don't get me wrong, Donovan Mitchell's probably going to have one hell of a game in Game 7. He'll probably have over 30 points. But I'm expecting a real big game again from Mr. Jamal Murray. I'm expecting at least another 35-plus points. But the key factor is in this last Game 7, we'll see how offensively Gary Harris bounces back from his first game. Didn't play too well on the offensive side, but we'll see what he does in this game seven after possibly shaking that rust off from game six. So here's the thing too, going into the next series, if we're looking forward a little bit against the Clippers, because the winner gets the Clippers. Can either of these teams compete against the Clippers? Because it looks like LA has it figured out. They've got all their players back. Everyone's healthy for the most part. And it looks like they are really the contenders that people expected them to be at the start of the season. You know what? We've seen a page in Paul George's game kind of turn and flip over the course of these last two after we've just, you know, we've talked down on him in response to his play in this series. What, the first four games before, you know, he finally got used to it and he told us what he told us after the game where he had a solid performance where mm-hmm. he said he just, it just, he just, and I respected that too out of Paul George. You know, he, his response said, I just couldn't get with it. You know, there's no crowd and there's no atmosphere, and I just really couldn't mentally get into playoff mode. And I, I can respect that answer after that performance where he actually, you know, finally played like Paul George is capable of playing. Yeah, he's been it's been interesting to kind of see what he's been able to do, um, especially with how much pressure he's been under from social media and from Clippers yeah. fans and from everyone talking about how it's playoff George, Paul George again. He just can't. <laughs> He can't come up to to what's expected of him. And granted, he scored 35 game five. He had a good game. So maybe he goes into the second round with a little bit of a clearer head. And if he does, the Clippers are only going to be even a better team because right now, I mean, I do think that they are probably my favorite to make the NBA finals with just the way they're playing and, and the personnel that they have and how good Kawhi Leonard is playing right now. So whoever wins this series between the Jazz and the Nuggets is going to have their hands full against the Clippers. And I just, I don't know if either of these teams can compete against them and make it a really serious series. Well, you know, I think the Denver Nuggets have a better chance to compete. And I would actually give, I would give, I would give the Denver Nuggets two games in that series. It, it goes six. Okay. I, I wouldn't say that the Clippers wouldn't necessarily just flat out, just sweep, you know, the Denver Nuggets because of Jokic. Like, I think Jokic plays well enough where he can dictate a whole game. He can control a tempo of a game based off having that ability to stretch the floor. And I don't think the Clippers necessarily would have a response for Jokic either. Now, on the perimeter side, offensively, I'm pretty sure that Jamal Murray would have a tougher time, you know, with a guy like uh, Paul George or a guy like Kawhi Leonard guarding him because those are bigger defenders, you know, bigger wings or whatever. And so... In, in that regard, for Jamal Murray, I think he would probably struggle. But I, I still think that the Denver Nuggets have enough offensive weapons to sp- spread it out and 
you know, slow the tempo down because Denver likes to slow it down a little bit. And I think that could take the Clippers out of their rhythm and out of their game. Yeah, I mean, the, the big question is, can Jamal Murray continue to be as good as he has been the past whole, basically the whole series, but especially the past three or four games against the Jazz? And can he be consistent? And that is even the question heading into the game seven. Can he still be consistent now? We're not saying score 50 points every night, but you're going to need <laughs> probably over 30 points from Jamal Murray 30. if, if yeah. you want him to, if you want the Nuggets to do anything. I definitely agree with that. Definitely got to be over 30. And I know it's tough to probably say, but probably going to need that extra offense off the bench for Michael Porter Jr. too. Definitely yes. going to need that because the, the bench for the Clippers are going to respond. Morris, he's going to play well. He's been playing well in this series in, in spite of the uh, the ejection last game, but it's neither here or there. Um, <laughs> Jamichael Green has come off the bench for the Clippers, and he's played well. Reggie Jackson, despite getting gamed on <laughs> in, that, in that one game where Luka just played out of his mind, Reggie Jackson's played pretty well off the bench. So they have pretty good bench players in the Clippers. I'm not even including Harold. And uh, and Lou will because they get starter minutes anyway. So these other three guys that I mentioned, you know, they've played pretty, pretty vital minutes for the Clippers and against the Mavericks. So I think that's going to be huge against that Denver bench mob. So we're looking ahead to a potential second round matchup. Let's go for a third of the big three to an actual second round matchup that's taking place. <laughs> the big three. <laughs> and that is the Boston Celtics against the Toronto Raptors. And. I think game one surprised a lot of people. It surprised me, that's for sure, um, because of how good the Celtics came out playing. They just, they looked like everything was working for them. They won 112 to 94. That was a win bigger than I think a lot of people expected. I know the Raptors were even favored in this game to beat the Celtics, and the Raptors just looked out of sorts. They couldn't get anything going offensively. Defensively, they looked lost at times, and they, they, they just couldn't hit their shots. So, I mean, was this a surprising start for you for the Celtics? It was for me, and and I'm a little bullish now on, on the Celtics' chances to win this series more than I was going in. Well, see, remember before we remember last week when we talked about this series, the, I was looking at this game strictly on how I viewed how it would lay out. And so the guard, it was like I said, the guard play and the perimeter play for the Celtics versus the front court play of the Toronto Raptors, because that's their strength. The Raptors strength is in the front court, I believe. Obviously, Marcus Gasol, Pascal Siakam, Sergi Baca, and even Norman Powell. I believe that's like the main core of their guys. And then you're going to get if you're going to get some good offense out of Fred Van Fleet and Kyle Lahr is going to do what he's going to do. He's always going to be that mystery. You never know what you're going to get out of Kyle yeah. Lahr, especially in the playoffs. Then on the other side, you have the Boston Celtics and they're going to have great perimeter play obviously out of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Kimber Walker they don't have Gordon Hayward at the moment due to injury but they kind of lack size and the same type of talent from the front court as Toronto so I've only viewed that game from that perspective now did Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Fleet play well in game one nope did they get outplayed by the Boston Celtics uh perimeter yes they did Marcus Smart had 21 points why does Marcus Smart have 21 points <laughs> 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 yeah, that was not great by them. <laughs> and so when you see that, it's just like, okay, they got to do better defensively from on the perimeter first and foremost. And then on the other side for Toronto, they got to be better in the front court offensively. Marc Gasol, you can't be three for seven. You got to demand the ball more. 
five for 16. I need Pascal Siakam to play better. OG, I need a little bit more offense out of you. And Serge, you're playing aggressive, but I need you to be a little more aggressive in the paint. You had three or seven from three. That's seven threes out of your only seven attempts, and you're a big man. I mean, you're 10 attempts, and you're a big man. So I need you to be more so on the block, you know, battling with Daniel Tice and uh, Reggie. I'll give I'll give Robert Williams the third, the two-time defensive player of the year out of Texas A&M. I give him a lot of credit. He played pretty well off the yeah. bench. For yeah, himself. he's been playing well. Yeah, he, I mean, he's been a pretty big piece. He was a big piece against the Raptors in, in game one. And I, I I don't think he missed from the field, nope. um, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, he he played well offensively, about as well as you could expect someone whose specialty is defense. So I, it just seems like the Celtics just have more options to them. And I know the Raptors' yeah. strength is their bench, but I the Celtics can counter that for a pretty decent amount. Now, Siakam just needs to play better. He He needs to be the version of Pascal Siakam that people expected him to be like midway through the season, something like that, where he is scoring, he's going for 20 and 10 every night, 20 yep. points, 10 rebounds. And he's just not doing that. And, and I don't know if he's been uncomfortable since the restart, but he's been, he hasn't been consistent since we restarted play in the bubble. And I would be a little bit worried if I were the Raptors, they had an easy first round against the Nets and, and they were able to sail by with that. Now they have a very, very difficult team, a contender, even with the Celtics and, We'll see if they can rise to the occasion or if kind of the hype is is not founded. And I'm really starting to believe that. And I was high. I said last week the Raptors would win game one, and I was 100% wrong. And now <laughs> I'm really starting to think that the Raptors hype is not true. I just I don't know if they can step up to what the Celtics are, are bringing every single night. I think they have to try not to match the same play as the Boston Celtics. So like that perimeter play, you got to scratch that. You got to scratch that, Nick Nurse. You got to get your guys ready. You got to get your boys ready. That being Mark Gasol, Pascal Siakam. You got to make it one of those games. Force the foul. Force them to foul. Now, I was watching the game, and at times, you know, Jalen Brown was guarding Serge Ibaka, and he was containing him. He was stopping him. He made him miss a few times. So I'll give I'll give the uh, the Boston defense credit for that. You know, they were able to kind of actually contain the big man, you know, as in uh, Siakam and uh, Ibaka. They did a good job on them in terms of uh, – putting Brown on them at times. And if they're on a perimeter, like even if Serge is on the perimeter for some reason, you got Tatum out there and he's he's stopping him. He's cutting him off the baseline and things like that. So I give credit to the Boston Celtics defense, really. They did a good job defensively. I will say that. They, did, they had they did. a great game plan defensively. So it's really for me about how the Toronto offense will respond in the next game. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. And I think this is going to be, and again, we said it last week, this will be a really fun series. And I still think it will be, but I, man, I just, I would be <laughs> shocked right now if the Celtics lost this series. They're going to lose a couple more games, but I, I would be shocked if they lost this series to the Raptors. And I think the Celtics are are pretty good on, on the road to the conference finals at this point. And this is 100% going to come back to bite me, but I definitely think that's, that's where the Celtics <laughs> yeah, are at this point. I, they're yeah, just a really good team because they get Hayward back in a few weeks too. Yeah, it's only been one game, but it was a pretty decent offensively game out of the Celtics. So, I, you know, like I said, I give them a lot of credit. They played well. Like I said, Marcus Smart getting 21 points. Like, who would have ever thought he would have had 21 points in the playoffs? Right. You know, he's as he being known as a guy more so for defense. And, you know, him to be able to come out and shoot pretty well from the offensive standpoint, you got to give him a lot of credit for that. Then I seen he had a playoff high, Kimba Walker, 10 assists. So that was pretty cool to see that. And we'll see how he respond in game two as well. You know, uh, 
Mr. Kimba. Yeah, it's it's going to be a fun series, and there is no one that I root for probably more in the NBA to to find success than Kemba Walker. He he would be <laughs> yeah, so much fun to see win a title. I love Kemba. I, <laughs> I loved him since UConn, and he's just been he's such a fun guy. He's a nice guy. He's a genuine person, and and he is fun to watch on the basketball court. And and I really really hope he has a chance at a title. If it's not this year at least in the next couple of years. Cause I mean, he's what he's, he's got a, you know, five, six more years left in the league. So he still has a window, but I mean, this is going to be as good of a chance as any coming out of the East right now. And what kind of looks like a, a slightly weakened East than what we thought originally. I think the Celtics has have a good of a chance as any to make the finals. Yeah. Especially how they look after this last game, but what is Twitter talking about this week? Ben, what it do baby. Yeah. All right, let's go to the uh, Clippers in the Mavs series because there's some anger boiling over <laughs> between Luka and Marcus Morris. Now, this in the game that we saw on Sunday, this was happening a couple games before that, too, where Marcus Morris looked maybe potentially possibly stepping on Luka's ankle on purpose after Luka had hurt his ankle. Now, that could be debatable, but what happened in their last game was Marcus Morris looking like he tripped Luka and then just swatting him from behind. It almost looked like he was trying to hit him in the face with his forearm. Luka got upset, tried to charge Marcus Morris. Luckily, Boban was there, and all seven foot six of him, or seven foot five of him, was able to yank Luka back and prevent him from getting ejected. Morris got ejected, and there's been a beef now ever since. No, it's hilarious to see. And then I like what... uh... (laughs) What Van Gundy said last night, he said, listen, two things happened. Luca got fouled, and Luca wasn't going to fight Morris. <laughs> <laughs> that was some of the funniest uh, response I ever heard out of all of that from, uh, from the game. And so when I saw that, the foul to me, now this might not sound too good, but it was a foul, but I don't think it was a flagrant two for him to get ejected. Only because, and I say that only because he hit the ball. So, like, he made he technically made a play on the ball. Was it a little aggressive? Sure. It was a little aggressive. But I still think he made a play on the ball. He hit the ball. So, if, if he didn't hit the ball, then, like, it's ludicrous. But, I, like, he hit the ball, so it was kind of, okay, flagrant one, cool. Even a tech, maybe, okay, sure. But ejection, eh, I guess. I mean, it's NBA playoff basketball. You got to expect tough fouls, you know. And I remember they said that at halftime, too. So, Luca's going to think twice about coming in the paint so often. And so, you know, they got to have that type of mentality in the playoffs. But it may have been a little excessive, but he, I think he made a play on the ball, to say the least. See, I'm, I'm going to take the center of this one. I, I think he absolutely did that on purpose. I think he was trying to send Luca a message, and it seemed like it was intentional. I don't think he was trying to, like, maim him, but I think he yeah. was just trying to send a message, be very aggressive, try to rough Luca up a little bit. I absolutely think he was doing that. Now, I don't think he should have been ejected. I think... Like you said, the playoffs, I think you give a little bit more leeway to some aggressive play. I mean, that should have been a technical. I don't think it should have been an aggressive or a technical that gotten him kicked out of the game. But to me, it just seemed like, especially with the ankle thing a couple games ago, it (laughs) just seems to me there's a pattern here. (laughs) I saw the ankle thing. But you see what he did, though, with Morris? Like, he stepped on his ankle, and then, like, you see Luca kind of, like, he trips. 
Yeah. But then like he kind of Morris like throws his arms out like, whoa, I'm not trying to really do that. And he tries to like grab him from falling. Then he picks his shoe up, trying to give it to him. So there were like some nice gestures all into that moment, too. At least I thought I thought it was kind of funny that people had like viewed that and saw that in that game five where he stepped on his foot. But he at least was trying to like grab him from falling. Yeah. And then he tried to like pick his shoe up. So there were some nice gestures into that home sequence right there, too. I mean, the one thing we can definitely agree on, Lucas not fighting Marcus Morris. (laughs) If he is, he's going to get absolutely whooped. I mean, Luca, as much as I love Luca, he's not a, he's not a fighter. (laughs) He's a lover. He's not, he's not going to win in a fight. He's just not. Definitely a lover. (laughs) Yeah, he's yes, exactly. Um, All right. Other things happening on NBA Twitter. uh, NBA families are finally able to get into the bubble. So the players are going to be able to see their families once that second round of the playoffs start. Um, So I don't, I don't think or I don't know if it's going to change in how these players play, but I guess it's good that they finally get to see some family members come in and actually have some contact with family for, you know, the first time in two months. Yeah, it's going to be dope. I'm pretty happy for him. I think it's going to help. It's going to help. It's definitely going to help, especially when we talked about in the beginning, you know, with the big three, you know, with uh, Jacob Blake and that situation, just having the family around you, just to have conversations with, you know, you're not always with your teammates. You know, you get to see your loved ones, you get to see your kids. You know, you yeah. get to look at your kids and that gives them a different energy, you know, a different motivation to really see them and be with them, you know, in person as opposed to, you know, FaceTime and, you know, only seeing them, like, you know, in that type of way or anything like that. So it's just like to have your family around in that bubble during the playoffs, you know, where you ain't where you don't have to travel either. You just get to constantly see them after games and, you know, after practice. That's going to be huge for all of these players mentally, I believe. Yeah, it's definitely important. And. We brought it up. I mean, we have Paul George on this list talking about it. And people obviously on Twitter were, were talking about his 35 points in game five and how he's finally back after struggling at the start of the series. And he did talk about how it's been tough mentally being in the bubble. And so hopefully this helps, you know, people like him out who are struggling, you know, being without seeing their family members in person for months on end. You know, it's it's important for these people to still get some contact with family members. Yeah, I think people take that. Even for though, granted. you know, they're yeah, and, and someone someone said it. I mean, they're yeah, they're millionaires who are playing basketball for a living, so people don't feel bad, but they're still human beings who need to have some contact with family like anyone else. And it's important to their mental health, it's important to their physical well being. And I think it's a good idea that the NBA had this rule where families they come, they quarantine and, and then they can see them after the second round of the playoffs. And and for those who don't get to see him, obviously they going home. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Then they can see him in their own homes. <laughs> yep. Um, the other thing NBA Twitter talking about this week, um, which has been happening for most of even during the regular season in the bubble, which was NBA athletes coming up with you know fashion statements that have to deal with police brutality or protesting and Black Lives Matter, and we see LeBron is very heavy on this. Actually, I've seen it on Instagram. Pretty much before every game, he'll post a picture of himself, you know, walking to the buses or coming into the arena with a shirt that has something to do with Black Lives Matter or ending police brutality. And we saw it with Jamal Murray's shoes with pictures of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor on them. And we're seeing these players really express their protests or their values in the form of clothing a lot. And you're seeing it on Instagram, you're seeing it on Twitter and the NBA's promoting it and the players are promoting it. And it's something that you love to see, right? You know, get demand justice for Breonna Taylor, you know, uh, arrested cops that killed Breonna Taylor. You see those type of shirts. I've seen Paul George wearing that shirt. You know, I've even seen shout out to the WNBA too. the WNBA, yes. the women, they, they've done such an amazing job 
over there in terms of the fashion statement. Like they had the shirts of, you know, Jacob Blake written out and then they had the seven uh, shots on the back of their uh, on their shirts just to just to show how many times that Jacob Blake was shot. And I thought that was incredibly amazing for them to do that and show that during the while during the protests and so I, I thought that was incredibly huge and russell westbrook has done a good job too as well and shout out to chris paul chris paul chris paul has done something coming into the games and then his shoes as well as acknowledging hbcus and supporting hbcus and so i give a lot of credit and shout out to uh chris paul for doing that and a lot of people have been taking notice to that too yeah it's been it's been interesting and it's been it's been fun to see that that players are taking their voices and, and making them be heard because they have millions and millions of followers on social media. So they are letting their voices be heard with, with issues that are important to them and, and are important to society. And so they're, they're finding their voices and it's, it's good to see that, that things like that are important to them. And it's good to see that they're promoting it and people are, are actually seeing it and everything like that. Uh, all right, let's move on to stat of the week. Zach, what's our, uh, what's our stat of the week this week? We have two. What's our first one? Our first stat of the week is 50-5-0. Came from Jamal Murray in his last outing over the Utah Jazz. I kind of snuck it in there earlier during the big three, but here we are. 50 points from Jamal Murray out of 43 minutes. He shot 70% from the field 70 percent 17 to 24 he made nine out of his 12 threes for 75 percent man how incredible is that unbelievable he it was i mean i was watching it and just laughing literally laughing out loud because he was hitting all of these shots it was so stupid you're just sitting there like there's no way this is going in and it goes in and you're just incredibly amazed every single time that one where he got in transition off a of steal where he was running in transition. He had an open layup if he wanted it. Stopped at the three-point three line, popped it up, and just switched it. I was, it was incredible. That's just the type of night he was having. <laughs> He's had it the past couple games where he just he can't miss. He was hitting three-point shots falling away from the basket. He was hitting them while moving. He just he could not miss. The last shot for him to make 50 was the one where he was dribbling up the court, and then he kind of stepped into the mid-range. Then he stepped back on the defender, and he knocked down the three, Ben, just to close out the game. So it was like a three-possession game at that point with under nine, with under 90 seconds to go, closing out the game. There's no chance for the Utah Jazz. And it was 50. You know me, Ben. I love when the 50 matters. Not 50 in a blowout, but 50 when the game's tight, when it's close, and you need every single point. It was amazing. It was, it was fun to see. And if you had the over in that game, you're very thankful to Jamal Murray as well because he helped. <laughs> He helped hit the over and because the Jazz, you know, they were hitting threes on their own. It wasn't like you said, it was it was relatively close. They needed him to hit all of those 50 points. So he did it. It made a difference. And, you know, hopefully if you're a Nuggets fan, he continues that into game seven, which coincidentally is our second stat of the week. And that number is three. And that is because that is the number of game sevens that the Nuggets have had in their last three playoff series. They have had three straight game sevens going back to last year's playoffs they won the series four to three against the spurs in the first round last year and then they lost to the trailblazers in the conference semis four to three and now they're in game seven for a third time in a row 
against the Jazz. They just cannot help themselves. They love these Game 7s so much. <laughs> yeah, but but in this one, they've had to fight and crawl back to even put themselves in a position for a Game 7. You know, you know, we talked about it. They were down 3-1 in this series, and they fought back thanks to Jamal Murray and Jokic. You know, they both had big games in these last three games. And so here we are, Game 7. And we even said that this series, we have to touch on that, Ben. We said before this series started that this series will go seven games and the fact that the Denver Nuggets has helped us you and I yep. be be right about this series going seven games because they fought back we got to give him all the credit <laughs> in the world <laughs> thank you for making us correct Jamal Murray thank you so much <laughs> um all right let's move on overreaction or no or no now despite the Dallas Mavericks losing in the first round to the Los Angeles Clippers 4-2, to two, which I said it would happen. I said the Dallas Mavericks would lose this series in six games, and they lost in six games. But, you know, it was it was a rough six games. And the last two games were pretty rough, too. You got a bum ankle out of Luka, you know, torn meniscus for Kristaps Porzingis. So there's no Porzingis anymore. No more unicorn in the playoffs. So that hurt them just they hurt that hurt them a bit. But they still fought and they were in so they're in these games. Not the not game five, but they were in game six uh, most of the game. And you know, I give a lot of credit to them. Now the question is, or the statement is, the Dallas Mavericks will be a championship contender, according to Ben, next year. So is this an overreaction to say that the Mavs are going to be a contender next year? And by contender, I mean, like, maybe top four or five teams people consider to to have a shot at winning the title? Well, we already have seen what Luka Doncic can do in the playoffs. You know, we he had a stellar playoff performance. I'm talking, what, 30, 9, and 9? <laughs> so he's like, he, he practically averaged a triple-double in this series and so the sky is obviously the limit for Luka Doncic and you know he's only in his second year in the NBA and so that's he's coming you know he's gonna be coming and if they're not a contender next year it's definitely gonna be in the next few years because you know if Tim Hardaway just keep you know elevating his game with the Mavericks and they keep him and Kristaps Porzingis can stay healthy and he you know, demand the ball down low and make sure that Rick Carlisle is putting him in position to score just as much as Luca. So Luca doesn't have so much wear and tear on him game after game. And he'll be able to, you know, keep that energy and keep those uh, high point games and high assist numbers and high rebound numbers come playoff time next year, because I already believe that they're going to be, you know, a playoff team next year, you know, Top five, top four, that's possible, Ben. I agree with you on that. You know, we'll see how deep they can go, if they can make it out of the second round, depending on where they are. You know, I think they can – I believe this. Are they a championship contender? I'm not sure just yet, but do I believe next year can they win a, can they win a round? Can they win a first round? Yeah, I believe so, depending on who they run into and depending on what they do in the offseason, you know. I believe, I believe so. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think even though it's my own statement, I'm definitely going to say I think it is an overreaction to say they'll be contenders next year. And I think it's for your point exactly is I think they'll be able to win a series. I mean, that's kind of the next first step. They have to win a series before you can be considered a contender. But the pieces are there. And I think they need a few more. They need maybe one, maybe two more shooters. Um, they need a couple more veterans on the team as well to to kind of center the balance of of the youth on the team. So they need three, maybe 
two or three more pieces to really be considered a serious team. And I think they'll get that either over the offseason this year or through the big free agency in 2021 next year. So their window is still extremely wide open, and I don't think it's going to close anytime soon to be a contender. I just don't know if it starts next season. That may be a little bit too early. And we need to know, especially that Porzingis can stay healthy. Absolutely. A lot of issues with his health. And the, the Mavericks are undoubtedly and objectively a better team when Luca and Porzingis are both playing. So if he can stay healthy, then the Mavs, I think, can be a contender within three years. But I think saying they'll be a contender next year is, I think that's a little bit of an overreaction. Now we got our picks. And this time we're going to do second round. We've done the first round and you know, Dallas and uh, Portland. Eh. We talked about that, and then, you know, Portland and the Lakers, and then we had OKC in Houston, and I picked OKC, and right now OKC is down 3-2, to two, and they may <laughs> go home 4-2 to two in this series. I'm, I'm, I'm just not seeing it. I hate to be wrong, Ben. This is the one where I just hate to be wrong because yes. I'm going to hear it. I am going – I'm never going to not hear it. <laughs> I am, if the Houston Rockets win – Game six, I am not going. I'm going to turn my phone off. I'm turning my phone off. So those of you who will listen to this podcast tomorrow and did not hear from me possibly tonight, it's because of this very reason right here. The Houston Rockets (laughs) may possibly win out in a first round against the Oklahoma city thunder. It's not looking. Zach's going off the grid. He's going, (laughs) he's going to live in a shack in the woods for the next couple of weeks. No phone, no internet, nothing. You can't contact him. You can't even write to him. He's out. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want the heat. I do Uh, not want heat for this one. (laughs) Do we want to? Okay. So we could pick some of the series for round two, but as an addition, do we want to put ourselves out there and make our game seven picks for jazz nuggets? Jazz Nuggets. I'm do we want to do that to nuggets. ourselves? I'm going with the different Nuggets, Ben. Okay, I'm gonna go I'll go with, with you. Nuggets. I'll ride the Nuggets with you. I'll do it. We're both riding high. Yeah, we ride and die together here with this one. <laughs> we'll both go live in the woods if we live. <laughs> Get a cabin for two. All right, so for so how are, so what are we doing for our actual picks for the second round? Are we going to do um, – we want to pick, like, Celtics-Raptors series? What? How do we want to do this? So – I, I I hear the noise, Ben. Don't, don't think I don't hear the noise. I hear the noise from you, Ben, because you're not a believer. You you really falling off that wagon. You falling off that you falling off that wagon, and you know what team I'm talking about too. You falling off that Milwaukee Bucks wagon. I need you to jump back on board. I really need you to get back on board with this bandwagon in the Milwaukee Bucks. You fell off. You were already kind of looking to fall off. And then they haven't really impressed you in the first round. And then you've got that Miami team who really has impressed everyone. And I mean everyone. And Amina Smith, she, you know, she came on the podcast and she let us know the type of team that the Miami Heat are. And there they are. They're going up against the Milwaukee Bucks in the semifinals of the NBA playoffs here. And, well, I'm still riding high with Giannis. Until until proven otherwise, I'm still going to ride high with Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak, to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and also the NBA Finals. So with that being said, I will take the Milwaukee Bucks in this series over the Miami Heat in six games. Ooh, okay. See, so what I'm going to say is I have fallen off. I'm I'm dragging, like, if this was a real wagon... (laughs) 
if the Bucks bandwagon was a real wagon, I am dragging behind it right now. I've got one hand still on there, but it is dragging me through the dirt and the muck and the mud. But I still I still believe a little bit in the Bucks, and I think the last two games against the Magic helped me out a little bit with them. So I'm going to say Bucks win this series in seven. Okay. And I think it does go seven. And there are going to be times, and Zach, you're going to have to pull me back from the ledge. But we talk about next week where the heater may be up in the series, and I start trashing the Bucks, and I have to bring me back, and you're going to have to say, no, the Bucks are still a good team, because I do tend to overreact with the Bucks. But I, they have played a, much better than I thought they were going to play in the last few games. So I'm still going to take them in this series. It's going to be a close series, but I'll say Bucks in seven. All right. I can I can go with that. I can go with that. Now. <laughs> Now we got the Lakers. They're going to be fixing to play the winner of that OKC in Houston game. But then on the other side, back out east, we have one that's already underway. Boston Celtics and the Raptors. Still going to probably go with the Celtics. I think you're going to probably lean more so on the Celtics now that you've seen game mm-hmm. one. That is true. Celtics and six, baby. <laughs> and so there you have it. That concludes our picks for this week and this also concludes this edition of points in the paint podcast with ben winston and of course myself zach Bazerhouse. make sure you follow us both on twitter at our respective twitter handles make sure you follow shams on twitter for all your breaking and latest nba news and update and for all other sports latest news and update and just for daily programming for topics all across the board follow stadium on twitter and for more podcasts follow stadium's very own Trash and Treasure with Amina and Felder. They come out every Thursday and drops amazing content. And you can hear some exclusive interviews from those in the sports world. And that concludes this edition of the podcast. You'll hear from us next week.